It's good to be with you this morning. We have a good number out here today, and we have visitors. We're thankful for that. Appreciate all of you being here. And uh, for this lesson today, I've entitled it, Lessons We Can Learn from Lot's Wife. As we look through Scripture, uh, all of Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, there are literally hundreds of people, I guess, that have examples that God has chosen to reveal to mankind, examples of people that lived in obedience to him and, and did acts of love and faith and things that we can be proud of and try to apply and learn from ourselves and make our own selves better as Christians. But we also have sad examples in the Bible, things that people did that were anti-God or anti-His law, people that made the wrong choices in their lives, and they suffered consequences through their own actions. This morning, I'd like for us to look at a, an example, a person that did choose poorly. She chose the wrong path, and the lessons that we can learn from her mistakes. Um, in, start with Luke chapter 17. The Lord there teaching, he's dealing with the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they're asking him, when would the kingdom come? And the Lord says in verse 25, but first he must suffer many things, speaking of himself and be rejected of this generation. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the Son of Man, in his days. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise also it was in the days of Lot. They did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone or sulfur from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In that day he which shall be upon the housetop and his stuff in the house, let him not come down to take it away, and he that is in the field, let him likewise not return back. Remember Lot's wife. We have the story of Lot's wife back in Genesis chapter 19. That's where most of our text will come from. It's a lengthy reading, but I'm going to read the first 26 verses there just to get that part done, and we can refer back to that many times. In verse 1 in Genesis 19, it says, There came two angels to Sodom at even. Lot sat at the gate of Sodom. Lot, seeing them, rose up to meet them. He bowed himself with his face toward the ground. And he said, Behold, now, my lords, turn in, I pray you, in your servant's house. Tarry all night, wash your feet. You shall rise up early and go on your ways. They said, Nay, but we'll abide in the street all night. He pressed upon them greatly, and they turned into, into him entered into his house, and he made a feast, and did bake unleavened bread, and they did eat. But before they lay down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, compassed the house, round both old and young, all the people from every quarter. They called unto Lot, and said, Where are the men which came into thee this night? Bring them out unto us, that we may know them. Lot went out at the door unto them, and shut the door after them, and said, I pray you, brethren, do not so wickedly. Behold, now I have two daughters, which, I have not, which have not known man. Let me, I pray you, bring them out unto you, and do to them as you will, in good in your eyes, it says. Only unto these men do nothing, for therefore came they under the shadow of my roof. And they said, Stand back. And he said again, This one fellow came into sojourn. 
He will needs be a judge. Now we will deal worse with thee than with them. They pressed sore upon the man, even Lot, and came near to break the door. But the men put forth their hand, pulled Lot of the house to them, shut the door. They smote the men that were at the door of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they wearied themselves to find the door. The men said unto Lot, Hast thou there any besides, son-in-law, thy sons, thy daughters, whatsoever thou hast in the city, bring them out of this place? For we will destroy this place, because the cry of them is waxing great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord hath sent us to destroy it. Lot went out and spake unto his sons-in-law, which married his daughters, and said, Up, get you out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-law. When the morning arose, the angel hastened Lot, saying, Arise, take thy wife and thy two daughters which are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. While he lingered, the men laid hold upon his hand, and upon the hand of his wife, and upon the hand of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful unto him, and they brought him forth and set him without the city, or outside of the city. Came to pass, when they had brought them forth abroad, he said, Escape for thy life. Look not behind thee, neither stay thou in all the plain. Escape to the mountain, lest thou be consumed. Lot said unto them, Oh, not so, my Lord. Behold, now thy servant hath found grace in thy sight, and thou hast magnified thy mercy, which hast showed unto me in saving my life. And I cannot escape to the mountain, lest some evil take me and I die. Behold, now this city is, is near to flee into thee. It's a little one. Oh, let me escape thither. Is it not a little one, and my soul shall live? And he said unto him, See, I have accepted thee concerning this thing also, that I will not overthrow this city for the which thou hast spoken. Haste thee, escape thither, for I cannot do anything till thou become thither. Therefore the name of the city was called Zoar. We have the story of Lot and his wife and his family dealing with two angels sent from God, his judgment coming down on Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember in the previous chapter, Abraham pleaded for Sodom and he begged God and said, God, if I find 40 righteous men in that city, will you spare it? Yes, the Lord said. And he kept going down to 30, twin, or even 10 righteous people in the city. And God said, yes, I'll spare it for even ten. But ten couldn't be found, could they? The judgment of God was fixed. The destruction was imminent. Fire and brimstone was to destroy the cities. Lot's wife was lost even though God gave them a plan to save them. He sent the angels to Lot's house. He sent them to find them out. He sent them to tell them what to do in order to live in that situation. Not to be saved spiritually in that one instance, but to live and to be delivered from the great destruction that was about to come. He told them, the angels, God through the angels, don't look back. When you flee into the plains, don't look back. And he even allowed him to bargain with him and flee unto Zoar. But Lot's wife looked back. And she paid the price. We don't have angels knocking at our door today. God doesn't deal with us in a miraculous fashion. But what we do have is God's revealed word to the apostles and prophets that wrote it down. Ephesians 3, 3 through 5. Paul the writer there says that we can know the mystery of the gospel just as he did. 
as he wrote in a four and a few words, as he wrote it down, God dictated the New Testament to the apostles. They wrote it down. They preached it. They worked miracles to prove that it was from God. And in fact, the scripture that we have today gives us everything we need in order to be safe, to live spiritually. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is given by the inspiration of God. It is literally God-breathed and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect or complete, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. God has given us a plan as well. When sin came into the world through Adam and Eve, God knew then that his plan had to be executed. Therefore, the only way that Lot's wife was lost, or, or we today under the New Testament law, is if we ignore God's commands. They weren't hard commands. It simply told them to not look back, to flee into the plains. He bargained for Zoar or to the mountains. And he said, no, no, don't, let, don't make me go to the mountains. Let me go to Zoar, as they named it. And God, through the angels, even agreed to that. They weren't strenuous commands. And if you look at today's world and how people deal with sin, many sins are made legal today. They are not lawful, but they have been made legal. And so people get in their heads that it's okay to commit these things. If they are legal, then they're okay in their own eyes in the sight of God. God's word is plain, though. He's given us the New Testament to learn, to love, to grow from, to obey him as he commanded. And when we look at Lot's wife, she was lost knowing that she disobeyed what God had said. Secondly, though, Lot's wife was lost, even though angels from heaven, as we just read, they came down and led them by the hand out of the city. Now you have a miraculous event taking place here where angels show up at Lot's house. Lot's dealing with him. He gets him to come into his house and the angels say, you've got to get out of this city. God's going to destroy it. Judgment has been passed. It's kind of like leading a horse to water. A lot of you know more a lot about that than I do about leading a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. They were led to safety by the hand out of his house. Judgment is here. Destruction is coming now, Lot, his daughters, his wife, grabbed him by the arms and they pulled him out of the house to safety, at least on the road to safety. Now, that was the age of miracles, as we noted. We don't have angels pulling us by the hand and leading us to the Bible and say, read this, read this, here's what you should do. The Jews refused to believe God, didn't they? When the Lord came... They thought there was no way that he could be the Messiah. He didn't look right. He wasn't from the right place, they thought. And if you look in Matthew chapter 23, when the Lord is dealing with them, concerning them as a nation, he boils it down into these two verses. Matthew 23, 37, he says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent to thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, 
even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. They would not believe. Their heart was waxed gross. Matthew 13, 15, the Lord again speaking about Israel. This people's hearts waxed gross. That was their problem. And their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they've closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, should understand with their heart, and I be converted and I should heal them. They refuse to accept thousands and thousands of miracles that the Lord did in their presence. Taking the gospel to the Jews first. The book of John tells us that the, the acts of the Lord could hardly be filled into volumes of books if it was all actually written down. Point is, they had ample proof that the Lord who was who he said he was, who he claimed to be, and therefore his words carried weight of judgment and life and death. The Bible's very clear about us as well, though. Thirdly, Lot's wife was lost, even though she was the wife of a righteous man. Lot found favor in God's eyes, didn't he? The angels came, they, they dealt with Lot, and asked him, do you have any family? He said yes. But they didn't believe him, did they? They didn't believe the report that destruction was coming and that they should leave. They mocked. The Bible tells us that we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.10 Every one of us as accountable adults must give account of the things that we do in our own lives. I'm not going to be judged by what you do or say or think. You're not going to be judged by what I do or say or think. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Now there's a lot of people today that would invoke past relatives and pull from the righteousness or religiousness or faithfulness from a past relative or current relative and try to invoke that and make themselves seem more righteous, more good, more accepted of God. Many people even think universalists that just because you're born, you deserve heaven. If we're born and we live, then surely we're going to heaven. We don't serve a God that would send us to eternal hell, do we? Wouldn't that be unfair if he did that? The Jews thought that their lineage to Abraham guaranteed them that they should be grandfathered in to the kingdom by the Lord simply because they were of Abraham's seed. In Matthew chapter 3, the Lord's dealing with them there, but says, And think not to say within yourselves in verse 9, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God's able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. God doesn't have grandchildren. We aren't judged by the righteousness or faithfulness of someone else. We're judged on our own acts, our own religiousness, our own righteousness or unrighteousness, our own thinking, and ultimately our own obedience. The Bible says that the church 
God's one true church is made up of people, baptized people. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, we are all baptized into one body. Ephesians 5, 23 says, Christ is the savior of the body. Ephesians 1, and 23 says, the church is his body, of which there's only one, Ephesians 4, 4 through 6. And the only way we can be added to that church is to obey the gospel ourselves. God only recognized the obedience of each of us as individuals. And yes, we act as a local church in some of our actions, but when it comes my turn to obey God or not in my life, in my own actions, I can only look in the mirror and make myself better. Make myself clean before I can start looking at others and saying you should do this and you need to do that and you have this against you and you have this fault. Remember Lot's wife. Fourthly, though, Lot's wife was lost even though she believed in God and obeyed part of his commands. Think of that. Think of the world today. People that, that declare themselves to be moral people or religious people. People that preach and teach faith alone, salvation. That baptism is not necessary in order to be saved. That we don't have to be members of the, the church that's called the church of or belonging to Christ. Lot's wife obeyed part of God's commands. She was even pulled by the hand, remember, out of the house by the angels. Set on the path to life in her case. And yet she looked back in disobedience. She only did the one thing, which will be our next point. Turn with me, if you will, to Luke chapter 18. We have people like that in the New Testament as well. We have to be careful it's not ourselves. In the case of the rich young ruler in chapter 18 of Matthew and verse 18, I'm sorry, Luke, I said Matthew, Luke, Luke 18. I might have said Luke first and then messed it up. Certain ruler asked him, saying, Good master, what shall I do? To inherit eternal life. And Jesus said unto him. Why callest thou me good? None is good save one. That's God. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother. He was living under the Old Testament law. The commandments. The church had not been established at this point. And he says. Well all these things have I kept from my youth up. I've done everything God expects out of me. When Jesus heard these things, he could see in his heart. He was talking to the one individual that could read his heart and know what he was thinking and what his makeup was. The Lord says, you lackest one thing. Sell all that thou hast, distribute to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. When he heard this, he was very sorrowful. And the other accounts say he went away sorrowful. It tore him to the heart. The only way he could have eternal life is to give up all of his possessions. And the Lord goes on to say how hardly it is for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. So easy for mankind to be wed to our wealth, our riches, 
just the seeking of them. We don't have to have a lot. If we put that above service to God, it's affected us. It becomes our idol, if you will. In Acts chapter 5, in the New Testament church, we see the case of Ananias and Sapphira. Our next point, Lot's wife was lost even though it was the result of only committing one sin against her soul. Now, she may have had other sin in her life, things she had done, I don't know. But at this moment, in this moment of time, when Sodom and Gomorrah was getting ready to be destroyed, what caused her to be turned into a pillar of salt was looking back. A violation of God's instructions. She died as the result of only one sin. In today's world, if you say that to somebody, that one sin could send our soul to eternal hell, I guess they, a lot of people would laugh at you. Because so many sins are committed in our society, people just look at and take for granted. People lie. People steal. Stealing's illegal, but anymore, up to $1,000, like in California, they just turn their heads. People commit adultery or fornication. People drink alcohol. They curse. They even curse God and take his name in vain. And God doesn't strike them dead on the spot. These things are legal, they think. What are we supposed to do under the New Testament? In James chapter 2, the Bible says that we can't have that attitude. James chapter 2 says in verse 10, For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he's guilty of all. What does that mean? It means if I commit sin, that sin is against my soul permanently. How do we know that? Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. Romans 3.23, everybody sins. So how can we be saved then if everybody sins how do we get to heaven if one sin sends us to hell? How do we ever become clean enough to please God? When 1 John 3, 4 says that sin is a violation of his law. That's where we have the plan that God put into place. He sent his son as our savior to die on the cross for our sins. He went to the grave and he rose from the grave in three days time as he professed that he would do. He provided the sacrifice that we needed, that blood sacrifice, so we could be forgiven of our own sins. How are we forgiven? We come in obedience to God's word. Yes, we may make mistakes like Lot's wife in that moment and falter. In the case of her in the age of miracles, when God said, don't look back through the angels, and she did, he punished her immediately, and he was just in doing that. What good is it to live in vain faith if we never put obedient works with it? James chapter 2, 19 and 20, faith without works is dead. What good is it to live like a Christian, a good moral life, if we are not a Christian. In other words, obeying God's plan of salvation to become a Christian. What good does it do us to ignore, or take away, or add to God's word 
when he has told us not to. Remember Lot's wife. She made a mistake and she paid for it with her life and with her soul. Our souls are on the line too in the day that we live. No, we're not dealing with miraculous events, but we can see someone that made the wrong choice, violated God's words, and she was punished on the spot like Ananias and Sapphira, struck dead because they lied to God. Look at people today and say they were struck dead because they told one lie. How many people think God is fair for doing that out in the world? The fact is he would be unfair if he didn't punish sin, wouldn't he? It would make him a respecter of persons if he made exceptions for me or for you. Well, they've got one sin against him. They've not made correction for that. But that's okay. They're still a good person everywhere else. We have to be careful, brethren, with our own selves and our own lives and our own actions Judge self, like 2 Corinthians 13.5 says. Judge ourselves. Make sure we're walking upright with God daily. It's a hard job. It takes work. It takes a lifetime. Once we learn the truth of what must I do to become a Christian, which we'll go over in a moment, but what must I do to stay a Christian? Remember Lot's wife. Our next point, though, Lot's wife was lost even though God gave her every chance to be saved, didn't he? Short of forcing her to not turn around, God provided every avenue that she and Lot and the daughters, the wife needed to exit that city safely. He was fair and just in his execution of judgment on her because he plainly told her, do not look back. And that sounds simple, and it is simple. But for her in that moment, that was her home. She had to turn her back on her home. I guess her sons-in-laws were still there. They didn't make it out. They mocked. They didn't leave the city. Whatever they couldn't carry was about to be destroyed and was being destroyed. And yet she chose to say, well, if I disobey this one command, maybe it'll be okay. What does the Bible tell us about obedience in our lives as Christians? Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Ephesians 6, 10. We will reap life one day if we faint not. Revelation 2.10, be thou faithful unto death, and you will receive a crown of life. There are conditions on us to reach heaven. Yes, obeying the gospel. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, Romans 10.17. That's how we learn about God and start growing in belief. Hebrews 11.6 says we have to believe in God who gave us that word. Without faith, it's impossible to please him, it says in that verse. We have to be willing to give up our sins. We can't keep any of them. A lot of people, when they become Christians, have a lot of quitting to do. Things that they had done in their lives that are called sinful in God's word. They have to stop those things. To repent, to change their mind, to change their attitude toward God and say, I'm going to give these things up and live as you command and give my life to your law. 
We have to be willing also to confess Christ with our mouth that he is Lord, Romans 10, verse 9. Confession with the mouth is made unto salvation. Well, what's the final step? 1 Peter 3, 21, we were talking about that the other day in class, that baptism is not the washing off of our dirt. That's not what cleanses our souls. It's the answer of a good conscience toward God. It's because he said to do it. That's why it's important. That's why it's needed. Mark 16, 16, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be condemned. Now, God doesn't promise that once we do those steps that we're saved and that's all we ever have to do. We can go live our lives out on the streets or out wherever we want to go and whatever we want to do or say. He adds the condition of being faithful till death, doesn't he? Be thou faithful unto death and I'll give thee a crown of life. Lot's wife is a sad, sad story for us because we see a person that's, that's forever in scripture of making the wrong choice and suffering the ultimate penalty for that choice. Angels came. She was dealing with God directly, basically. Pulled her out of that city. Put her on the path to safety. She still obeyed. Pillar of salt. God's done the same thing for us today. He's given us every chance to get to heaven. He sent his son to die for us. He gave us the church. The Lord established it that we could be members of that church and be forgiven of our own sins. The cure for sin was the Lord. All by his grace. We didn't do it ourselves. We didn't earn it. He loved us enough to send his son for us, to die for us. Lot's wife was lost, and it's a terrible thing, but we don't have to be. We have the New Testament. We live in a different time. We have the New Testament law that he's given us, and God expects and demands obedience to that law that we live under in order to be pleasing to him. If you're not a Christian, you need to be. If you're not a Christian, you have no hope in eternity. It's time to come hearing and believing his word, repenting of your sins, confessing Christ and being baptized to be forgiven of your sins and start on that path of obedience. If you're a Christian, you need to make correction to repent and pray, God says, to be forgiven once again. If there's anyone here that needs to respond to the Lord's invitation at this time, please come all together we stand and as we sing.